about to hear my conversation with Perna Matthews and Laurent Bakupsa from our ETF team. We talk all about the options available for investors in cash and cash-like products, why you'd consider those options, and what the outlook for cash is. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have two guests today, Perna Matthews, who leads our ETF business, and Laurent Bukabza, who is our ETF fixed income strategist. Perna, Laurent, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Matt. Hi, Matt. Maybe I'll start with you, Laurent. The purpose of the conversation today is all about cash. Uh, and certainly, we've seen cash uh, change a lot uh, for investors uh, in the past three years, going from ultra-low uh, interest rates, where lots of debt was actually negative yielding, to something that's uh, far more meaningful now. Laurent, maybe I'll turn it over to you. How do you think about the evolution of cash and in investor portfolios over the past three years? Yeah, thanks, Matt. That's a that's a really good question. Uh, so if you look at uh, the rates, the prevailing rate environment uh, three years ago, we were basically at zero um, on the on the yield curve. That being said, you know, uh, inflation was not running as high as it was, but uh, to all intents and purposes, really, your cash was yielding negative. So now, fast forward three years, we're in a situation where we went through a lot of inflation, but the rates went up. Inflation is coming down a little bit. So now you are seeing real rates, real yields on cash uh, above 2%. That's great, Laurent. Now, what has the investor reaction been to this evolution of uh, cash over the past three years? Well, it's been real interesting in the pace at which interest rates went up. Uh, so, you know, you had really enough, no place to hide if you were in traditional fixed income. The rates went up pretty drastically. 2022 was the worst year on record for fixed income. 2023 was also really bad until Q3 uh, of 2023. So, you know, cash was a very good alternative. Uh, it was a way of, you know, yielding and benefiting from the rate hikes at the same time, not being impacted by, uh, the, you know, the, the, the function of bonds going down when rates go up. Uh, but now, again, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years now, you're seeing a situation where uh, we're, you know, labor and employment are getting a little looser. Uh, the economy, at least in Canada, is showing real signs of slowing down. So uh, the market is already pricing four to five cuts in Canada for next year. So, uh, you know, there is a case and there is a benefit probably to reallocating some of this cash. Now kind of the storm is passed to more traditional fixed income, more traditional portfolio construction where you get investors that invest money and not park money. Cash is not an investment really. Uh, so it was a, it was a great play uh, up until now, but looking forward, uh, there's probably better options for investors. Just um, wanted to add to Laurent's uh, comments there, just just around again the demand from investors for this for this asset class. Um, and as as Laurent said, really, is is it is an asset class? I think that's a great question um, to to think about. But um, 2023 uh, saw a significant amount of flows go into fixed income ETFs and mutual funds, um, particularly in ETFs. Uh, we saw over 50 percent of flows of of ETF total ETF flows go into fixed income. Oh, wow. That's pretty high. I mean, it's it's uh, over the last couple of years been trending at that sort of 50-ish percent mark. 
Um, but historically, it's largely been equity where investors have gone to the ETF market for. So um, that's an interesting note. And then if you take a look at that 56% of flow and fixed income, almost half of it was just in cash-like and he's a product, right? So it's quite significant when we talk about the billions of dollars, and that doesn't even account for what's happening in the GIC market, um, you know, what's happening in deposits at the bank. So um, it's a substantial amount of money that's just been sitting on the sidelines, either out of the fixed income market, because why take the risk if you can make the yield in the short term anyway, um, and and or out of the equity market as well, because there's still been quite a lot of trepidation by a lot of investors over the past couple of years, um, not wanting to um, go all in uh, back into equity either. So cash has become this temp temporary holding spot, essentially, uh, that's still yielding attractive enough that that trade-off is hard for investors to say, I'm going to go back in now and I'm going to allocate now. And even if the short term might look ugly um, in the long term, I'm going to benefit from not being in cash. So um, the data just in terms of flows also speaks to this sort of investor sentiment of, of flocking to cash. So it seems like uh, a lot of the the assets that have gone into cash was in reaction to the fixed income market having really uh, profound uh, underperformance in 22 in the first half of 23. Um, Laurent, I think you mentioned the outlook uh, for uh, fixed income markets are pricing in rate cuts, um, but markets aren't pricing rate cuts that get us back to 2019 levels where cash was yielding effectively nothing. Um, what's your perspective on what role a, ca- a cash will play in investor portfolios um, if market expectations are right? So we still have reasonably high yields compared to 2019, certainly less than they are now. Where do you think that balance comes uh, for investors? Yeah, that's really interesting to think about it. Your yield curve is very deeply inverted right now. It's getting better, but still we are, uh, you know, we're looking into a re-steepening of the curve with the shorter end of the curve doing really the heavy lifting. So, you know, in a sense, investors are incentivized not to go long term on fixed income because, you know, you expect the rate cuts to really impact the shorter end of the curve and you're paid handsomely to wait right now. Um, but that being said, you know, if you're in cash, you're basically going to have your cash yielding less and less as the rates go down and you don't benefit from anything of the bonds going back up. Uh, you know, remember, it's always interesting to remember that the fixed income market is not a momentum market. It's kind of a mean reversion market. Bond is roughly issued at 100 bucks and matures at 100 bucks. So whatever happens in between is, you know, can be seen as opportunities. So right now, most of the bonds are trading at a big discount, uh, you know, less than it was uh, six months ago, but still lots of opportunities there. So you having really interesting yield to maturities that are comprised of coupon, but also cap gains. Uh, so investors are really looking at, you know, benefiting from better tax advantage outcome, same kind of posted number, but better tax efficient, more money in their pockets at the end. Uh, so you are seeing a lot of money going into, you know, alternatives of cash. Now, cash is always going to have a little bit of a room in the portfolios, you know, for rebalancing, dry powders, for opportunities, inflows, outflows. I mean, there's always going to be cash and this always has been cash in the portfolios in the past, uh, but not to the extent of what we've seen right now. You know, Perna was mentioning GICs. GICs basically grew up by uh, more than 60% over the past three years. Uh, it is kind of an abnormal situation. And with the normalization of the yield curve, we're expecting um, cash to come back to more uh, 3 to 5% uh, 
uh, allocation in the portfolio, kind of the long-term equilibrium we've seen in the past. Makes a lot of sense uh, and and likely higher than it was probably in 19 where you were getting uh, zero uh, for your cash. Um, I'm curious, if you're an advisor or an investor and you're looking to uh, implement cash within the portfolio, there's lots of options available to you. We've talked about uh, GICs. We've talked about high interest savings accounts. There's, of course, money market funds. There's uh, all sorts of ETFs that are uh, changing uh, the dynamics uh, of cash. Um, how should investors think about which of those vehicles to choose. You're right. There's been a, an explosion in terms of the types of solutions available to advisors today. It's not just about the GICs that potentially their their own bank may offer, uh, but we've seen a lot of product issuance, um, particularly in the ETF market, well beyond the typical money market funds that we're used to, um, offering very lucrative opportunities. Um, HESA ETFs were a big part of that. We saw a number of HESA ETFs come to market over the past few years uh, and really benefiting from very lucrative rates um, over and above what you could potentially even get in a bank branch uh, because of the uh, capital um, funding, uh, lower capital funding costs um, from capital markets desks who are uh, really uh, the ones supporting and providing um, uh, the the depository uh, support for these kinds of products. And so this is where you've seen a lot of investors very easily select low cost um He's the ETFs in place of even GICs. It, you know, if we do a compare and contrast, for example, uh, if we look at GICs versus money market funds, or he's the ETFs, or, or now you have an ultra short bond uh, ETFs. Um, one big um, concern that some advisors often have with uh, GICs is liquidity. Right? They're often to get the the best rate. You're often locking up for a period of time, um, and then when that term ends, you then have reinvestment risk. So, you know, in an environment, particularly right now, where we're, um, you know, potentially foreseeing some rate cuts, what that pace might be, um, is is questionable by some. Um, but we're, we're heading in one direction. I think there's consensus around that. Um, and so you have this then potential reinvestment risk when your GIC comes due, and you're probably going to be renewing it at a lower rate. So um, that's another uh, important piece on GICs. Um, there's also tax implications in terms of interest income from GICs, often that's taxed taxed at an investor's marginal tax rate. Um, And uh, if you compare that to potentially uh, ultra short bond ETFs, which uh, typically have, um, now these are not these are not um, deposit accounts. These are actual bond holdings in a portfolio. Uh, they have to be of maturity, typically under one year. So relatively safe. I can't say that they're going to be 100% secure like a bank deposit or a GIC or a, a HESA, um, but they're relatively safe, sh- ultra short bonds, um, which are providing a very lucrative rate, similar to what you'd find in a, a potentially even slightly higher than what you'd find in a HESA uh, or a GIC. Um, now, these types of um, uh, ETFs actually have a majority of their bonds right now trading at a discount, right? So when you think about tax consequences of holding a GIC where that income is coming in at um, tax at, at the investor's marginal tax rate um, versus investing in something like an ultra short bond product where um, that's be, you're getting a combination of both capital gain and interest income because those bonds are actually trading at a discount um, on, on the ultra short end of the curve. Uh, it can be a better tax outcome for investors, which adds up. Now, again, the higher that 
that p- potential cash allocation in your por- in your clients' sure. portfolios today, the more meaningful that tax impact might be. Um, so there are definitely trade-offs to be thought of from that traditional GIC route versus looking at um, he says money markets or these ultra short bond ETFs. Now, he says too, um, very popular over the last few years, as I said, but uh, we saw some regulatory um, change or impacts announced late last year, which have seen the rates of those ETFs come down in line to bank overnight. So um, what OSFI announced in October of last year, at the end of October, um, was that uh, uh, these HESA ETFs, which have historically been treated um, by OSFI as retail deposits, they can no longer be treated as such. They should be treated as unsecured wholesale funding. Hmm. And all that means is they cannot benefit from that 50 basis point sort of arbitrage they had historically over bank overnight where it was better for you to go buy a he's uh, ETF versus even going to your bank local bank and, and getting it through your your bank branch so that sort of arbitrage which was uh, I'd say around 50 basis points on average is going to be gone by the end of January. Jan 31st is when Osvia said um, all banks need to be complying. And so what you've seen with HESA ETFs is over time, those rates dropping, and most of them are sort of around that bank overnight rate now. So, um, you know, you really, if you are a buyer of those kinds of mandates, you really should um, consider, A, you know, what what does that cash allocation look like for your clients moving forward, certainly. And if uh, you still have a need for different cash solutions in your portfolio, what other options can you take a look at? So we recently launched an ultra short bond product as an example. Um, There are a few others in the marketplace, again, offering this sort of zero to one year um, maturity relatively safe corporate and government. Those those bonds may be, the weights might be um, varied across a lot of other products. Sure. Um, we have a, a, a healthy tilt, about 75% tilt to corporates. So you can get some of the higher yield um, of those ultra short bond uh, corporate corporate bonds, um, which gets you, like I said, above a bank overnight right now. And so it, it it is a very compelling option in this suite of product that investors, advisors should really be looking at. That's great, Bruno. One thing that I'm struck by by that answer is just the number of considerations that you need to uh, take when you think of cash. It's not a simple uh, buy a GIC or buy uh, the money market fund. You have to think of liquidity. You have to think of tax implications, of course, yield and fees and all all the rest of it as well. Um, And maybe along those lines, I I guess I I sort of have two questions about uh, being tactical and strategic. One is uh, how tactical do you think you should be like within that cash segment of your portfolio? Should you be looking at trading between he says GICs, um, ultra short uh, bonds, uh, and then second of all, how do you think about cash as uh, being tactical within the overall portfolio? So I, I think um, it, it, the vehicle you choose to use for your cash exposure um, is is going to have an impact on how challenging it is to be tactical with your cash exposure. Obviously, if you're using a locked-in GIC, you don't have the flexibility um, beyond, of course, the term you select uh, to really do something with that allocation if opportunities arise in the market. Um, and if you're trying to be more tactical and taking advantage of those opportunities, um, what uh, ETFs can do in that 
that scenario is really give you that flexibility, right? So um, it helps you at a, at a fairly low cost. ETFs in this category typically are within that sort of 15 basis point fee range. So they're fairly low cost, um, but they offer you that flexibility to say, um, you know, perhaps I have a 2% um, strategic allocation to cash, uh, but maybe I'm tactically overweight that by an additional 3% right now uh, because I am looking for uh, maybe the right active managers I want to be adding to my client's portfolio. Uh, maybe I am waiting on some additional market um, news and um, uh, market updates in the next few months, and I, I want to take advantage of those equity or fixed income options, uh, investment opportunities as they arise in the, in the next few months. And so uh, using ETFs can be very helpful, right, in managing that that tactical piece, certainly, uh, where that strategic piece continues to generate you a healthy yield. So um, if you're looking for that kind of flexibility, I would um, you know, suggest taking a look at the variety of product on offer in the ETF market that gives you that flexibility as opposed to locking yourself in and then having still a reinvestment risk on potentially that strategic portion. You know, If you're maintaining a set um, amount, uh, maybe it's drawdown for your clients uh, and they're funding their own um, personal needs of that, uh, you're still going to need to figure out how to get that yield moving forward as, as rates continue to come down. So, um, you know, I, I think ETFs make uh, make a lot of sense in terms of, of usage there. And in hindsight, you know, um, being overweight cash was not a bad call over the past uh, the past couple of years, I guess. Um, but, you know, we are in January 2024 and looking forward, uh, the rates seem to be uh, poised to go down. So, you know, your overweight cash helped and served you well, but it's probably not your best, the best use and the best risk reward you can get going forward. So, uh, you know, as Perna mentioned, there are there are some um, there there are some solutions like ultra short bond who can definitely help you uh, get the most of uh, you know shorter duration portfolio, higher yield, uh, and better tax advantage. That's great. Thank you both for coming on the podcast, uh, really uh, going through the intricacies of the options available uh, for cash and cash-like products. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Matt. Thanks a lot, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 